0: Hi, I'm Katie Scott from the Charles Malik Institute. On October 19th, CMI had scheduled a crisis decision-making simulation. Unfortunately, due to the recent war in Israel and one of the simulation leaders being drafted, we had to reschedule. In its place, we held an emergency discussion-based event. The following recording is a general timeline of the first two weeks of the war, delivered by CMI Associate Director Liza Ashley in person at our New York City office. Now I'm just going to give a brief overview of the news and the developments that we've all been witnessing over the past two weeks now at this point. So on October 7th, early in the morning, Hamas, an Iran-backed terrorist organization that has had sole control over the Gaza Strip since 2007, launched a land and sky invasion of Israel with the stated purpose of obliterating Israel and its Jews. They pushed through the border of Gaza and stormed 22 towns in Israel, as far as 15 miles from the border of Gaza. Uh, it was estimated 3,000 rockets landed in southern and central Israel, including Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. The worst attack, uh, one of the worst attacks of the day occurred at a self-proclaimed peace and love music festival in southern Israel, where 260 concert goers were massacred, including foreign nationals and um, some American citizens. Several more were raped and taken as hostages into Gaza. Several other brutal attacks occurred at Kibbutzim in the south of Israel. They um, massacred hundreds of people, primarily women, children, and the elderly. Um, Marching orders captured on killed and uh, Marching Order Salmon captured and killed Hamas terrorists from Saturday's assault removed any ambiguity about their objectives. A squad that attacked the farming community in Alumim in southern Israel was directed to, I quote, achieve the highest level of human losses and then take hostages another group of terrorists that have attacked another farming community were instructed to take control of the kibbutz, kill as many individuals as possible, and take hostages until you receive further instructions. This tactic, while horrifying, is only a surprise because many people have refused to take Hamas at its word when it says it wants to obliterate Israel and its Jews. It says openly in its charter that, it says openly in its charter that there is no solution for the Palestinian question except through the HOD. Initiatives, proposals, and international conferences are all a waste of time. It claims blatantly that Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Israel obliterates it, just as it did as others before. These are their words. They're not mine. You can look them up online. this That's the preamble, that's article 13. The rest of the document is just as horrific. The attacks on Saturday culminated in over 1,400 dead Israelis and unknown numbers raped and over 200 people taken as hostages into Gaza, including a baby, several foreign nationals, many women, children and the elderly. The bloodshed of civilians was not an unfortunate consequence of a just action. It was the objective. They said it themselves. Many have suggested in the aftermath that October 7th is Israel's 9-11, but when you adjust for the size of the countries, the attacks on October 7th equate to 13 9-11s in a single day. Since Hamas took control of the Gaza Strip in 2007 after Israel withdrew entirely in 2005 and forced over 8,000 Israelis to leave Gaza and head back to the rest of Israel— uh, Israel has pursued a, a philosophy of mitigation and containment of Hamas terrorism, coined as mowing the grass. This, uh, since then, conflicts between Hamas and Israel have lo- largely followed a standard pattern. With Hamas launching missiles into Israel, Israel responding with calibrated attacks on military targets and eventually culminated in a until-next-time resolution. But October 7th made it clear to Israeli leadership that this philosophy of mowing the grass was not going to work anymore. So long as Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad maintained a stroke hold on Gaza and the innocent civilians there, there would be no hope for peace. Their only option was to uproot the grass, it's Palestinian Islamic Jihad and Hamas, to r- remove it once and for all. This is complicated by the fact that Hamas uses civilians as pawns. It is well documented that Hamas uses mosques, schools, and hospitals as weapons depots and military headquarters. In 2014, a United Nations report reluctantly concluded that Hamas had used United Nations schools to store and deploy missiles. The Amnesty International, hardly a Zionist organization, made it clear that the largest hospital in Gaza, Al-Sharif Hospital, was uh, used to torture and murder dissidents in Gaza. In fact, it is so well known that this hospital is used as the primary Hamas headquarters that it's literally on the Wikipedia page for the institution. If you look it up, you will see right there in the first paragraph that this is the well-known headquarters of Hamas, deep underground. Since the attacks, Israel has been issuing constant evacuation notices, urging civilians to evacuate northern Gaza to the south to preserve their safety. But Hamas has ordered civilians to stay put repeatedly. Earlier this week, uh, irresponsible Western media outlets parroted PR claims from Hamas, saying that an Israeli strike hit Al-Ali Arabica Hospital and killed 500 people. This news spread like fire throughout the Western and Arab worlds, leading to violent protests, including one that set fire to a U.S. embassy in Lebanon and disrupted planned negotiations between Egypt, Jordan, the U.S., and the PA, presumably concerning aid and solutions for civilians in Gaza. Only after this damage was done, it became clear that the rocket was not from Israel, but rather was a missile assault launched by Palestinian Islamic Jihad from a cemetery behind Al-Ali Hospital. The blast didn't help the building rather landed in the parking lot. The evidence for Israel's innocence in this particular matter includes geolocation data, radar information, and intercepted calls between two Hamas agents, attributing the attack to hid third-party video evidence, expert analysis of the blast zone, and undisclosed pentagon intelligence, while Hamas is providing no evidence to back its claim that the rocket came from Israel. Both the Democratic and Republican leaders of the Senate and House Intelligence Committees issued statements saying they were confident that the blast resulted from a failed rocket launch from, and was not the result of Israeli forces. In the words of G.K. Chesterton, a lie makes it halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to get its pants on. Two weeks into the conflict, there's a lot we don't know, but this is what we do know. Hamas' stated objective is the destruction of Israel and its Jews, with blatant and well-documented disregard for its own civilians. There's no negotiating with Hamas because they reject negotiation on principle. The philosophy of mowing the grass has not worked, and Israel and innocent Palestinians alike face an existential threat if it doesn't remove Hamas and Palestinian Jihad once and for all. Israel has made every effort, given the fraught situation and an enemy who willingly puts its people at risk, to spare civilian lives. And finally, While no one knows what will happen if Israel successfully dismantles Hamas, we do know one thing. In the words of Michael Herzog, Israeli ambassador to the U.S., Israel has no desire to occupy or reoccupy Gaza. We have no desire to rule over the lives of over 2 million Palestinians. With all of this in mind, it is possible, and in fact necessary, to support Israel in its necessity of ending Hamas while exercising deep compassion for those caught in the crossfire. As the region settles into what may become a protracted and bloody conflict, we must retain moral clarity about how the war began and how it must end without becoming callous. Ultimately, the possibility of peace between Israelis and Palestinians will further off than it was before October 7th isn't dead because it can't be dead. Uh, When the dust settles, Israelis and Palestinians will still be living next to each other. And so it will be the job of prudent statesmen and women to find creative solutions so Palestinians and Israelis alike can exercise self-determination and live three and live thrive free from the oppression of Hamas and Islamic Jihad.